Remember when your mother told you if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all? Well, hmm, let me think about that. I can't think of much good to talk about this morning. <laughs> That's kind of an ironic opening by Pete Moss. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the beginning of a weekend. It's Friday, and we're almost through the month of June. We have another week of primaries coming up next Tuesday, and we have a gentleman that will be on in the next half hour named Dr. Mark Sherwood. He is a wannabe governor for the state of Oklahoma, and he's a Republican. Now, you may think, hmm, Oklahoma already has a Republican governor. Yeah, Governor Stitt. And uh, he's been entrenched to some degree in politics. Good grief. Noise. Sorry about that, folks. That telephone ringing in my ear. Um, Governor Stitt has been there a while. He is entrenched. But Dr. Sherwood is going to explain to us some changes need to happen in the state of Oklahoma. So he'll be here at the bottom of the hour. And we have a lot more that we're going to get into during the show today. This first story, this first thing we're going to visit about is one that has rocked me to my shoes. You know, it was too good to be true, this election run-up to the midterms. With all of the chaos, confusion, the voter irregularity in the 2020 election that we know was there, we don't know to what degree and what extent, but there are courts around the nation, one after another, that have begun to prosecute people that were guilty of voter fraud in the 2020 election. I don't care what anybody on the left says, it existed. And of course, their fallback explanation is always, well, there's no proof there was enough fraud or irregularity in the 2020 election to change the results. The logical answer is, well, we don't have all the facts yet. And I'll just refer you to 2000 Mules, the movie. If you haven't seen it yet, it's a documentary full of verified, double, triple, quadruple, verified facts, hardcore evidence that prove There was a lot of voter fraud, a lot. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. But there were 2,000 voter harvest ballot mules that you will see if you watch the movie. You'll see for yourself documented time, all kinds of statistics that are exactly the same statistics that the FBI uses when monitoring phone calls. That's all I'm going to say about it. I just have had this sinking feeling in the bottom of my stomach about the midterms. Now, guess what came out overnight? President Biden doesn't want any of us to know about a federal takeover of election administration. Did you hear that? They're hiding from you and I a takeover of the administration of elections. Dozens and dozens of members of Congress have repeatedly asked for details, but they get nothing, no facts. Good government groups, members of the media, private citizens have filed requests under the Freedom of Information Act. That's the way Americans are supposed to be able to pressure our government to provide us public information. Not a single one of those FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act, 
has even been responded to by the federal government. All signs indicate a concerted effort to keep us all in the dark until at least after the November midterm elections. The lack of transparency, no responsiveness, is so bad, folks, that the Department of Justice and some of its agencies have already been repeatedly sued for the information. And yet, no response. When Biden ordered every one of the 600 federal agencies to, quote, expand citizens' opportunities to register to vote and to obtain information about and participate in the electoral process. On March 7, 2021, when that happened, Republican politicians, constitutional scholars, and election integrity specialists began to worry. Hey, what the heck is going on? What's he got up his sleeve? They had good reason. The 2020 election suffered from widespread and coordinated efforts, and that term efforts is being kind, efforts by Democrat activists and donors to run get-out-the-vote operations from inside state and local government election offices, predominantly in the Democrat-leaning areas of swing states. Independent researchers have shown the effect of this takeover of government election offices in 2020, and they discovered it was extremely partisan, favored Democrats overwhelmingly. At the time President Biden's order was issued, Democrats were also hoping to pass that H.R. 1, which was a continuation of the effort to destabilize elections across the country through a federalized takeover of state election administrations. Biden gave each of those 600 agencies 200 days, each of them 200 days, to file their plans for approval by none other than guess who? Susan Rice his hyper-partisan domestic policy advisor. Yet fully nine months after those plans were due, they're all being hidden from you and me, even as evidence is piling up that the election operation is in full swing for the midterms for November. You want to dig in for just a minute with me? Well, there are several major problems with Biden's secret plan. At least critics say that. It's unethical to tie federal benefits to election activity. It's unconstitutional to have the federal government take any authority that belongs to any of the states and which Congress has not specifically granted. And given that all 50 states have different laws, different processes governing their election administration, it's a recipe for chaos, for confusion, for fraud at a time when election concerns are particularly up in the air and very upside down. But you know what? The chaos that we saw play out in 2020 and the aftermath of those elections, in the chaos of that, Democrats and others on the far left, they saw an opening. So much chaos prevents facts about wrongdoing makes it real difficult to even find them, and certainly not find them in time. Mobilizing voters is always a political act. Now, those on the left that are out there helping people vote, register and voting, actually, 
They say that's not a political act that they're doing, but it is. Choosing which groups to target for get-out-the-vote efforts, that's one of the most important activities done by any political campaign. Federal agencies that interact with all of us, doling out benefits, can easily pressure recipients to vote for particular candidates and positions. Way back in 1939, way before me, folks, Congress passed the Hatch Act. That bans bureaucrats and bureaucracies from being involved in election activities. That came after Democrats used work progress administration programs and personnel for partisan political advantage. Executive Order Number 14019. It ignores that the Constitution does not give the executive branch any authority over elections. That power, it's reserved totally for the states with a little bitty role for Congress. With that H.R. 1 bill and other Democrat Party efforts to grab more control over elections, so far they've all failed. Congress hasn't authorized any expansion like this. And as with previous efforts to destabilize our elections, the chaos and confusion that would occur, that's all part of the plan. They love it when it's up in the air and everybody's looking but nobody sees anything. Joe's executive order, that order number, 14019, copied much of a white paper put out by left-wing dark money group which advocates for left-wing changes to the country, and they brag on its website that it moves, quote, bold, progressive ideas from cutting-edge concept to practical reality. Coincidentally, (laughs) maybe, Biden put former Demos President K. Sabil Rahman and former Demos Legal Strategies Director Chirag Baines in key White House positions to oversee election-related initiatives. Rahman serves as senior counsel at the White House office that oversees regulatory changes. What that means is he approves every federal agency's regulations, provides legal review of all executive orders before they're released. So if you were looking to rush out constitutionally and ethically questionable orders, this post would be key, or very key to fill. Baines had been DeMoss's director of legal strategies, helping write the paper that was turned into an executive order. He reports directly to who? Susan Rice, the hyperpartisan head of the Domestic Policy Council. Now, Rice is no newbie. She has served in political positions in Democrat White Houses in the scandal-ridden Brookings Institution. She played a role in the spying on Trump scandal, blatantly lying about lying about the Benghazi terrorist attacks and lying about Bo Bergdahl's military record. She is described by a lot of people as being President Obama's right-hand woman. And it's been said she was like a sister to the former president. She was his national security advisor at the same time Hunter was overseas hitching rides on official White House aircraft to other countries for meetings with oligarchs and other corrupt government officials. 
Susan Rice spread conspiracy theories about the law enforcement officers in Portland during the violent, not protest, but BLM riots that besieged the city. The most worrisome thing, though, she was briefed on the Clinton campaign's Russia collusion hoax, which was used to destabilize the 2020 election and question its illegitimacy. I know this has probably put you in a funk hearing about this, but there is a big plan, a master plan, to fiddle with the midterm elections. Conservatives may be in the dark, but left-wing activist groups are fully engaged in this plot. The left-wing dark money group Demos put out press releases right after the executive order was issued saying it would be happy to work with federal agencies on the project. And then they admitted publicly that it, quote, organized agency-based working groups and met with the staff in these agencies to give them technical expertise as they developed their initial voter registration plans to ensure those plans reflect the knowledge and the priorities of various agency stakeholders. They actually admitted those exact words. It also admits it developed research and resources to assist and advance agency efforts to implement robust voter registration opportunities, including a slide deck explainer of the agency's potential for impact, best practices for conducting voter registration at federal agencies, and recommendations for modernizing and improving the accessibility of vote.gov. All of what I just told you, every bit of it should be available to the oversight authorities in Congress and to all of us, American taxpayers, who are paying for implementation of this charade we're telling you about. Not just the left-wing groups that produced it. Yet as of this morning, None of what you just heard has been shared. Nothing has been shared with Congress. Biden's plan raises serious ethical, legal, and constitutional concerns. That was voiced by Representative Ted Budd, the Republican of North Carolina, along with three dozen Republican members of Congress on January 19th. That came in a letter to head of the Office of Management and Budget demanding more information by the end of February about Biden's secret voter manipulation plot. They're still waiting for a response from the OMB. Top Republican members of nine House committees and subcommittees likewise demanded information from Rice and also from the head of OMB in a letter they sent on March 29th. They noted Election activity goes well beyond the scope of each agency's authorizing statute and mission. One of the concerns they shared was that Biden was directing agencies to work with third-party organizations. Nobody knows which third-party organizations have been approved by Rice for her specific political efforts, nor which are being used. They also asked how much money is being spent on the effort. Which statutory authorities justify any of these election activities? And what steps are being taken to avoid Hatch Act violations? Their response? Crickets. 
The Foundation for Government Accountability filed a lawsuit on April 20th to compel the Department of Justice to respond to those FOIA requests for information. Also, the American Accountability Foundation filed suit on June 16th to do the same thing, force the Department of Justice to comply. Those two lawsuits are ongoing. And as you can imagine, the DOJ is not jumping up and down to reply in any way to it. They probably will uh, around November 15th, after the election. While the White House and agencies are steadfastly refusing to give up any information, no details about how they're complying with that executive order, who they met with to develop their plans, or how they're justifying their involvement in something Congress has not authorized them to do. A few details are trickling out. Here are a few examples of the widespread and coordinated effort by Biden's political appointees to meddle in the state administration of elections. There aren't many of these, a handful. In the midst of a labor crisis, the Department of Labor boasted it was turning 2,300 American job centers previously focused on helping displaced workers find jobs, turning those hubs into hubs of political activism. These new and federally funded voter registration agencies were given guidance about how to bring in organizations to conduct voter outreach. CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, announced plans to turn community health centers around the nation into voter registration agencies using thousands of health care facilities to focus on voter registration and turnout. HUD, the Housing and Urban Development Department, sent notice to public housing authorities that they should begin voter registration drives and participation activities. Previously, officials had been barred from electoral activities because they get federal funding. It's presumed residents of public housing might disproportionately vote Democrat. The executive order targets people receiving government benefits who might think their benefits depend on one party in power. That was from Stuart Whitson, legal director for the Foundation for Government Accountability. Department of Education, they sent dear colleague letters to universities telling all those that got those letters that federal work-study funds could now be used to support voter registration activities. And that's 180 degrees from previous guidance. The change was made, didn't go through any rulemaking process, didn't go through the U.S. Congress, something that's supposed to happen to make the change. They just thumb their noses at the requirement, you know, doing it the legal way. Even the Department of Agriculture is involved. They said it's using child nutrition programs to push voter registration. They're enlisting state, local, and federally funded employees to implement voter registration drives in local schools. The Commerce Department, they produced a massive 113-page report which likely took four agency officials many hours to generate. What does it do? It directs local voting board members about polling stations and poll worker training. All of these tactics being used by these agencies 
were certainly contained in the plans submitted to Rice that have been withheld from investigators and overseers, and they don't respond to Freedom of Information Act requests, which they're supposed to legally, they're basically thumbing their nose at anybody that wants to make sure our elections in November are free and fair and legal. Frequently, these agencies claim the tactics that they're using are in response to Joe's executive order, yet information about how they were developed has been withheld from the public since the beginning of this year. It's not clear why Biden and his political appointees are being so secretive about the work that went into their plan to engage in a federal takeover of election administration. I think you and I know, whatever the case, Americans have a right to know whether these bureaucracies that are meddling in elections have experts in each state's election laws. What type of training is going on to ensure that state laws are being followed? Whether they're allowing inspections and oversight to ensure no illegal activity? How they are determining whether a third-party group is genuinely nonpartisan? whether they are allowing state investigators to approve money and how much is being spent on the federal takeover of elections. That is illegal, unconstitutional. It's happening while I'm sitting here in the Truth News Network TNN Live studio. It is happening. They are manipulating illegally the midterm elections. Now let me get out of the story and pontificate to you for just a minute. For those of you who have stayed stayed on the boundary, you've, you've just been over on the sidelines, you, you don't want to get involved in any of this because it's ugly. Let me tell you what's happening. Have you noticed Democrats are not going crazy about all the polling that shows that they're going to get destroyed in the midterm elections, certainly in the U.S. House of Representatives, but looking more every day like they're going to lose control of the Senate as well. They're not screaming and hollering. They're not out there going nuts. That doesn't happen in this world, in the politics of this nation, especially in the Democrat Party. They are activists, activists. They're always on point. They're always working together. Everybody pulls the same direction and they all have the same talking points. There are no activists out there trying to salvage any semblance of going to win this election. That's not what the Democrat Party does. There's something up. And it's not good. It just shocks me that this just now came out. Molly Hemingway at The Federalist. She's the editor-in-chief there. She is senior journalism fellow at Hillsdale College. You see her on Fox News all the time. Her work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the Los Angeles Times, the Guardian, the Washington Post, CNN, National Review, and truthnewsnet.org. She is an investigative reporter and a real journalist. She dug in and found all of what you just heard. Nobody else is talking about it. I'm not trying to scare you. That accomplishes nothing. 
What I'm trying to do is make you understand there's stuff going on behind the scenes. There are illegal actions going on perpetrated by leaders in the Democrat Party in the White House, and they're doing it in full view of the Department of Justice knowing that they control the DOJ. They control Attorney General Merrick Garland. And when I say they, I'm telling you Susan Rice and Merrick Garland, I guarantee you they're on the phone with each other at least three or four times a week. And Susan Rice is orchestrating these kind of actions. No telling what other ones. With the Department of Justice coming from the executive branch. And by the way, if you've been wondering, if you're still wondering, who really is pulling all the strings, pushing all the buttons in the Biden administration, I thought it was Susan Rice. But then I began to look back at Susan Rice and the history that she's had in public at all of the crazy things that she's been a part of. She's really good at one thing, taking messages from somebody and selling them to the American public. She was a master at doing that in the Obama administration. She was the one that covered all the politicians at the top of the Obama administration when the Benghazi stuff happened. She went out that Sunday, five different national talk shows, and she told everybody Benghazi happened because of a video that was played in the United States that was anti-Muslim. And those Muslims over there went crazy, and that's why they attacked the U.S. consulate and killed those guys. Millions of Americans heard her say that, and they believed it. Why? She was in Obama's White House. It's coming. It's coming from the other White House, not the one at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. It's coming from the offices of Barack Obama, just blocks away from where the seat of our government is. Hey, it's Garrett. The Poland Spring brand wants to provide more than 100% natural spring water, and they want to make a difference. That's why they're rescuing millions of pounds of plastic and transforming them into new bottles that are 100% recycled. You can join them by pledging to recycle your bottle, and for each pledge, Poland Spring will donate safe, clean drinking water to local communities in need. Go to polandspring.com forward slash pledge to find out more. Select sizes only 20 up, 700 milliliter, 1 liter, and 1.5 liter size bottles. Howdy. The streamer here. You know, there's a place down yonder where three streams converge into one. It's where I saw the Mandalorian get himself into a space squabble. Watch me some UFC. Those folks from Modern Family had me cackling like a trout getting tickled. Well, that's a Disney bundle for you. It lets you stream Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus for only $13.99 a month. The Disney bundle. It's streaming at its best. Equals Hulu ad-supported plan. Access content from each service separately. Terms apply. Visit the DisneyBundle.com for details. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, 
Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. The end of the week, it's Friday, and I hope you have a big weekend planned. I didn't want to scare everybody to death with that story that we opened the show with, but there is election wrongdoing underway, and it's fueled by the Democrats in the nation, and the Federalists finding that Molly Hemingway reported on it this morning. Spread that story around to all your friends. Joining us now from Tulsa, Dr. Mark Sherwood. Doctor, thank you so much for taking a little time on this Friday to speak to our fans and our followers in your state where you're running for governor. Yes, sir, Dan. And thanks for having me. I'm super honored to be with you. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you on. I just want to tell everybody, kind of give, um, uh, I'm going to do this myself because I don't want to put you on the spot. You don't want to (laughs) talk, I'm sure, a whole lot about yourself, but this is a guy that's been plugged into the community for a long time. Mark Sherwood is a 24-year retired veteran of the Tulsa Police Department. He's an author. He's a doctor. He's founder of the Functional Medical Institute in Tulsa. He's an Oklahoma gubernatorial candidate for this year, and he is also a parent and grandparent. Now, Tuesday's a big day for you, isn't it? Yes, sir. That's the primary. And so tell us a little bit about the makeup of this. Oklahoma has a Republican governor, Governor Stitt, and you've got, you're running for that nomination against him, but there's some other folks that are running also in this, in this uh, primary on Tuesday. Tell us the difference between what you see for the people of Oklahoma as compared to what Governor Stitt has been doing. Well, look at this from a very panoramic landscape where you look at Florida, for example, and you have a governor there that stands up strong and leads the way in a state that is far less conservative overall than Oklahoma. And then in Oklahoma, you have a governor who is very passive, who does not lead, but instead is a distant follower, does not wait off into controversial issues in a state that is probably the most at least potentially and realistically conservative state in these United States. And there's a significant difference in the way we do business. And very briefly, I know the constitution of the United States. That's a prerequisite, I think. And our current governor does not. And as evidenced by the lockdowns we had and some of the vaccine mandates we still have, those should have never occurred. And under our administration, they would have not occurred and they'll never occur again. Oklahomans lost 150,000 jobs during the pandemic. That is one too many. We also have a state that has 300,000 acres of Chinese land purchased, more than any other state in these United States. And it's becoming a, a hub central of weapons trafficking, drugs trafficking, sex trafficking. And now there's a partnership between the CCP communist and the cartel, whereas last or two weeks ago, 11 kilos of fentanyl were seized in Oklahoma, which is enough to kill the entire population of the state of Oklahoma. And so those are just a couple of tip of the iceberg things that I see as major differences. So I'm more like uh, a Ron DeSantis plus 
uh, as compared to what we have as a passive individual. Doctor, what appears to be going on around us among conservatives is a backlash against people that have been conservatives. At least they've got the labels as Republicans, uh, but they are not embracing and they're not actively pursuing the constitutional things that are under attack, I mean, not attack, under assault by this administration and members of the Democrat Party. You've got a long history of law enforcement, and criminality is just tearing our nation apart. When you look at this, after 24 years being in the police force, when you look at what's going on in Oklahoma, thankfully not as much as in places like Portland, Oregon, or Seattle, Washington, but still it's happening in Oklahoma what can be done and what will you do to tackle this problem for Oklahomans there if you're elected? Well, certainly, as you noted, I have two and a half decades of experience on the front lines of being a buffer of chaos in a society, in a community. I will bring that forward. For example, in Oklahoma, we will protect our students above all costs. We will have barriers around those schools. We will not allow criminals to run rampant. We won't be soft on crime, as evidenced by our current governor, who commuted over 3,000 sentences his very first year in office, which is four times more than his predecessor in her final year. We cannot continue to be soft with the idea of authority. As we know, society has decayed because of the lack of authority beginning in the home, lack of fatherhood, the lack of honoring that structure that God put into place. And we see that bleed over in society. And when you have a lack of respect for authority and a lack of rules, a lack of moral compass or moral guide, evil abounds. And that's exactly what you're seeing on the West Coast and East Coast right now. And it's creeping in very rapidly on Oklahoma. And Oklahoma is sort of being encircled right now. And I see Oklahoma as as an incredibly critical beacon of hope for our republic and for the retention of same for these United States. There is a big, big, big question mark over law enforcement at every level in the nation, especially the Department of Justice and down from there in our federal government. And as we look around and we see what happened, Uvalde's the last place where it happened, but we're having these horrendous school shootings. And it seems like Law enforcement, the people that are actually in law enforcement, not everybody, but the administrators, they're, they're seeming to back away and not wanting to get in conflict with these shooters, and there's no pushback. And I think what we're seeing happen, look at Chicago. 32 people shot on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's kind of like an average week up there. Why are those things happening? It's because law enforcement is not taking accountability and holding people responsible. You're a Second Amendment guy. I know that. You're a conservative, mm-hmm. and you believe in that. If you get elected governor, what specifically can you do and would you do to keep schools safe in Oklahoma that aren't being done right now? Well, you mentioned it correctly, and I'll give you some context to my answer. When I look at what's happening around the country, and I see law enforcement being defunded, unappreciated, and really vilified from the media. We, they broadcast negative stories and fail to broadcast positive stories. So having been there, there's bad apples in every 
batch, as we like to say. There's bad employees in every company, but we need to start giving them at least some appreciation. With that said, we also have to increase training. And what I would propose and will do in Oklahoma is a three-prong approach to protect our schools. I would put highly visible armed security out front. And that's a first-line barrier, Dan. When the bad guys or these maniacs, psychopaths see this, they don't want resistance. So the first line is to have visible security. I'm talking a person and even a vehicle with the sirens on top, the lights, right? Second area of resistance is going to be one way in highly surveilled entrance. Now, of course, you're going to have multiple exits in case of an emergency, but those are sealed off for those specific and rare emergencies. But one way in, highly surveilled. That's barrier number two. Barrier number three is to put signs around the outer perimeter and on the building of that particular school that says something like this. Be advised, some personnel on these premises will be armed. And that doesn't tell the perpetrator or the idiot that wants to hurt people where his or her resistance is going to come from. And having stared these people in the eye, I can tell you this from a common standpoint based upon my own experience. They have a commonality. They they don't feel love. Therefore, they don't know how to show love. They feel left out, isolated, made fun of, rejected. And there's so much hatred for self. They want to take it out on somebody else and they lose the value of life. And they go into these places and they want to inflict as much casualties as they have. And they normally, in an extremely cowardice way, kill a bunch of people and then kill themselves. And so we have to deter that front, up front and quit being so soft in regard to appearances. My job as governor is just like it was when I was in law enforcement, just like it is in our naturopathic practice. It's to protect and serve, to serve the people, not deserve, but serve the people to protect their rights, to protect the Constitution, and really to protect the sanctity of the idea of God and, and godly principles within government. And so by doing all that, our kids will not be touched. Absolutely not. And by broadcasting that strong a message out front, I'm telling you, the bad guys need to be afraid to come to Oklahoma, and they need to be afraid to challenge us in our schools because you're not going to get our kids. In 2018, we did a very exhaustive story series on school safety and looking around the globe at some other places where these kind of things don't happen. And the one that kept popping up, and I reached out and we had somebody from the Israeli government come on the show and explain to us what they did all the way back to 1993. They don't have school shootings in Israel. And I know you're familiar with the process that they implemented there. Real quickly, tell us how that could possibly parallel what you're speaking of about Oklahoma schools. When I was visiting the nation of Israel, Dan, back in the mid-90s, right in that area, I visibly observed a school that had a big fence with razor wire on top, and it had an armed military guard out front. And I asked the person a question. What are you doing? What's this about? Why the heavy guard? Why the heavy armament? And he told me, and I don't remember exactly the exact phrase he used, but I'm paraphrasing. He said, behind me is our future. 
behind me is our future leaders. This is the preservation of our culture. No one, and I mean no one's going to get behind me to get them. And I looked him in the eye, man. There was a passion and there was a pride there in the preservation of those children's safety. And you know, as you just alluded to, they've only had a handful, less than a half dozen of instances where someone has even attempted to attack a school in the last 50 years. We need to place into our country practices that work regardless of appearance because the mission has got to be to protect those kids. Actually, two people have died in school shootings in Israel, the whole nation, since 1993, and both of those two people were would-be attackers. One of them was shot by a student with a weapon, the other by a teacher. And so there are ways to do it, but we don't seem to have at the very top the people that make all the decisions and push them downstream to put infrastructure in place for safety. We don't have that in place in the United States. It's got to come at the state level, and it's got to come from county and city levels. Doc, uh, That's Dr. Very Dr. Sherman, um, you've got an election coming up, and you've got some great ideas. I believe in everything you've, t- you've, you've told us today, and I, I've read a lot about you, and I believe you're the kind of guy that would certainly do a good job for the people of Oklahoma. But you're fighting an uphill battle. Governor Stitt, he's entrenched up there. What are you hearing as you go out and campaign from Oklahomans that are Republicans or conservatives that in the past they supported him? What are you hearing about them making changes? Well, there's two different groups, Dan, that have really been identified across the state. There's a grassroots group that are truly conservative, that truly understand the GOP platform principles of Oklahoma. They understand the Constitution and they're sick of it. And then there's an establishment. It's a smaller group, but have a lot of money. And they've controlled Oklahoma politics for a long time. And these people get embedded there. And they control people with their money, influence, and power. I don't get controlled by any of that. And that's been an incredibly appealing thing to the grassroots movement. Many polls, I'm 65% and up people that are going to vote for me on Tuesday in the rural areas. You get to the city, and I'm number two in the polls behind our current governor. But there's a fire across Oklahoma that's brewing right now. It's a fire of that grassroots movement that's growing, and I don't mind being David taking on Goliath because somebody has to, and somebody's going to, and that somebody that's been called to do that is my wife and I. We are unafraid, we are fearless, we are hopeful, and we are faithful. And we are not backing down because the people of Oklahoma, and frankly the people of these United States, need leaders that have a backbone and are afraid, are not afraid to do the right thing as opposed to just saying whatever to appease people and get votes. Leaders lead people on behalf of them. Politicians do things to get votes. There's a major difference between a politician and a statesman, and I would be the classical statesman. Well, you've got a message that resonates with a lot of people that are already there. So let's just do this. We need to let our people know at TNN Live, truthnewsnet.org, how they can help you. Your website is www.sherwood2022.com. 
That's Sherwood2022.com. They can find out more about you. I'm sure they can also contribute from that website. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir, they can. Well, you're a doctor. You and your wife have a really, really good medical practice in Tulsa. Are you ready to maybe turn it over to somebody else for four years or so? (laughs) Yes, sir. My wife and I have made plans for that. She'll remain as being the uh, the head physician there, the CEO, and uh, we've got a a great support staff. And we're putting our lives on the line for the people of Oklahoma, taking the pause out of our career. And uh, I just encourage people to uh, keep us in your prayers. And, you know, if you like what you've heard today and check us out, share with 10 people and get them to share with 10 people and go vote because we can change this landscape of this whole country, starting with Oklahoma. Amen. That's Dr. Mark Sherwood, www.sherwood2022.com. Doctor, thank you so much for coming and sharing with us. We're going to help you. And we're going to be watching closely. Will you promise to come back later and update us on everything going on? Dan, it would be an honor. I'll come back later regardless of the outcome. I'm super honored to be here. Thank you. Well, let's celebrate something just happened seconds ago together. You're a conservative. I'm a conservative. The U.S. Supreme Court just overturned Roe v. Wade. That is true. And, um, Here's a couple of angles that people need to understand. Roe v. Wade in 1973 was a horrible, erroneous decision. They recognized it 49 years and some months later. It opened the door for execution of the unborn and preborn. The door has been opened, Dan, and my biggest concern with this is that the conservative states I will. I'll push back and we'll abolish abortion. But the conservative states need to step up right now and band together because there's going to be mass protests. There's going to be a lot of violence. There's going to be states that step up because this has always been a state issue. There's going to be states that are going to create abortion sanctuaries, and you've got these psychopath states like California, for example, even pushing bills out there to have babies executed after birth. So we've got to prepare for this. This is a first step. It's a wake-up call. I celebrate the repentance decision, but our work now really begins. You're absolutely correct. It doesn't matter if the government does something. It doesn't matter that the Supreme Court overturned it. If people, voters, non-voters, people that live in the United States, don't step up and take responsibility for their actions... We're doomed. You can't have a nation if you don't have laws and if people, especially people in power in government, don't abide by the laws that are legally passed. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be a mass chaos. I can see over the weekend our nation just getting obliterated. But this is just the beginning, Dr. Sherwood. This is just the beginning. We need to keep pushing, like you said, and get rid of the slaughter of these tens of millions of babies. This time in history that we're talking about right now, this is a moment that people will remember. It's a moment where those incredible leaders will arise, much like they did back in the 1775 area where those 56 people signed the Declaration of Independence. Right. I am encouraging people to be one of those 56 right now. I'll sign my name first. I know you will too. We have got to be that strong and bold. 
giving our life if need be for the cause, the mission of preserving our rights, our liberties, and these lives that are across the world being victimized every day. A good friend of mine that pastors the biggest church in New Mexico said this to me two years ago. Nothing changes if nothing changes. If we want changes, we have to make changes that will make those changes we want happen. And if we don't do that, it's status quo. And I don't know about you, Dr. Sherwood, but I'm not real satisfied with the status quo right now for my children and my grandchildren. We need to step no. up. If we don't step up right now, Ronald Reagan said we're one generation away from losing our freedom. And and I would be bold to say this right now. We are at the end of that generation hanging on by a thread. This time we're in right now, we're on the precipice of either losing everything or regaining some things. And the some things are going to be these free states. The governors and the sheriffs, in my opinion, are the most critical pieces of this puzzle. It is imperative that we put the right people in there with a spine that exhibits courage, being just like Patrick Henry, that are willing to stand up and say, you know what, give me liberty or give me death. And let us remember that evil wins when good people do zero. And we've done zero too long. It's time to step up. If, if not now, when? If not us, who? If we don't do it, it won't happen. Exactly right. And this is a battle cry for people. This is a rally cry for people. God has called us at this time in history, Dan, to step in front of people and rally the troops. That was a message that was given to me way back 10 months ago when we said yes to this call. And it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about Will you say yes, and will you rally the troops? We said yes. I'm calling the troops to arise at this moment in time. We need people to step up, not just in Oklahoma, but the good Americans around this country so that their voice can be heard, and we the people, that very concept, can return once again. Dr. Mark Sherwood running for governor in Oklahoma. Check him out at www.sherwood2022.com. Doctor, best wishes to you and your family, and we're going to be watching closely with our fingers crossed for this uh, primary coming up on next Tuesday. And we hope on the other side of that we're talking again about your run for the governorship. Dan, I appreciate you. I honor you, and you do an outstanding job, and I look forward to uh, growing relationship with you and talking to you soon. We'll talk soon. Wow, a big day at TNN Live. Supreme Court overrules Roe v. Wade. That and more ahead. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the, the Truth, Truth News, News Network. Network. Truthnewsnet.org. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're at Pilgrim, please make a decision. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for the $3.99 6-inch sub of the day. How do you want it? Secret DJ set. At a retirement home? Weird. I like it. DJ sandwich in the house. What do you say? Italian BMT 3 dollars 
I call the EMT? Turkey breast, three ninety nine. How much? Three ninety nine, three ninety nine, three ninety nine. Bingo! Time of participating shops. Prices and subs included may vary. Additional charge for extras plus tax. No additional discounts or coupons applied. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell and Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them, someone they can trust, someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell and Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell and Cordell, a partner men can count. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the Ring of Truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. No cowbells here, a lot of racket, a lot of noise. Our best wishes to Dr. Mark Sherwood, Oklahoma, running for governor there. Well, as we said, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade just minutes ago. That effectively ends recognition of a constitutional right to abortion. But what it does, it gives individual states the power to allow, limit, or even ban abortion altogether. This whole case came from the court's opinion in a case called Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. That's coming out of Mississippi And it centered on a Mississippi law that banned abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Mississippi, which is a Republican state, asked the Supreme Court to strike down a lower court ruling that stopped their 15-week abortion ban from taking place. And here's what Justice Samuel Alito said. He wrote the court's opinion, quote, We end this opinion where we began. Abortion presents a profound moral question. The Constitution does not prohibit the citizens of each state from regulating or prohibiting abortion. Roe and Casey arrogated that authority. We now overrule those decisions and return that authority to the people and their elected representatives. Now, Justice Alito's opinion began with an exploration and a lot of criticism of Roe v. Wade and Roe v. Wade's finding that while states have a legitimate interest in protecting potential life, this interest was not strong enough to prohibit abortions before the time of fetal viability, understood to be at about 23 weeks into pregnancy. The court did not explain the basis for this line, and even abortion supporters have found it hard to defend Roe's reasoning, Alito wrote. Chief Justice John Roberts, he agreed that the viability line never made any sense. But he said he would have taken a more measured course with this case. Rather than overturn Roe v. Wade altogether, Roberts said he would have continued to recognize a right to get an abortion and that the right should, quote, in his words, extend far enough to ensure a reasonable opportunity to choose but need not extend any further. The court's majority took a much firmer stance against Roe v. Wade and the subsequent case Planned Parenthood v. Casey holding that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, including the one on which the defenders of Roe and Casey now chiefly rely, 
the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Now, that's Alito writing. The court's opinion recognized the 14th Amendment's due process clause has been found to guarantee certain rights that are not spelled out in the Constitution, but that those rights are deeply rooted in this nation's history and tradition. Abortion, the court said, does not fall within this category, as such a right was entirely unknown in American law until the late 20th century. The opinion continued to shred the Roe decision, saying it was egregiously wrong from the start and that its reasoning was exceptionally weak. Rather than continue the tradition established by Roe and Case, the court wrote that it is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. So when did this all begin, this chaos, which, you know, I, I don't have a television in the studio. I guarantee you around the nation there are places that are literally under fire. I think they made a mistake by waiting till Friday to issue this. Chief Justice Roberts, what you just heard him say, and that was a direct quote that I gave you from him, that's pretty much what most people that have been watching the Supreme Court with him as the Chief Justice expected him to do, which is pretty much what he's doing in everything that has a, uh, a leaning left situation. That's what he does. He leans left with them. It's sad that he did that. But anyway, the timing is what really concerned me. And I tell you what, we need to pray and hope that people will just not go nuts. We don't need any violence. We don't need any protest. People don't. They don't just protest about causes like this. They almost always are elevated into anger and hatred and violence. We don't need any more violence. This is the United States Supreme Court that determined this. People on the left have been telling us for years, whatever the Supreme Court says, you got to listen to it. Don't push back on it. They're the ones that make the rules and interpret the Constitution and what it means. That's exactly what they did today. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Americans were just caught up in being Americans and how blessed we are? how thankful we are to have the ability to look at ourselves, look at what we do, what we legalize, look at what we hold each other as far as standards up to, and just stop right there and be thankful that we live in a nation where the citizens can do just that. Everybody doesn't have to agree with anybody else. We have the right to think whatever we want to think. Just because we think something's right, though, doesn't mean it's right. Just because we think something's bad doesn't mean that it's bad. Wow. This is going to be a full weekend, if nothing else. If nothing else. Well, if you remember correctly, we had a constitutional attorney on with us, Susan Swift, a few days ago, who promised, we? this was on, I think, Tuesday, when it was rumored that the Roe v. Wade decision was going to come out that day. It didn't come out. She promised she'd come back to chat with us. Uh, during our next break, we're going to reach out and see if we can get her on the phone. Again, I'd like to get a constitutional attorney's opinion about this. 
this is a really big deal. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to polarize the nation even more than we have been on abortion and on women's rights. And I hate it that divisiveness is there. But what I hate worse is people will use things like this to further divide us, to put division, put space between us and our fellow Americans, rather than concentrating on the good, concentrating on the rule of law, concentrating on the foundations of this nation, instead of trying to manipulate it to mean what we want it to mean, just take it at face value. Look at the U.S. Constitution. Take it as factual and just deal with it that way and let it stand alone rather than feel like we've got to weaponize our opinions to go after those with whom we disagree. Having a good, honest, uh, fact-seeking conversation is one thing, but trying to beat somebody up verbally, sometimes it, it morphs from verbally into physically, that never gets anything resolved. In fact, it creates far more problems. This is one, folks, where we need to struggle through and find ways to find some reconciliation. We may not ever disagree or agree with someone someone else, but even if we don't, even if we agree, even if we don't agree, we need to find ways to get along with each other. Everybody's got opinions, and we must respect the fact that everybody has the same right to that as do we. Sadly, though, i got to be honest with you, I don't know that we're going to see this in this situation. I'm praying today that violence won't take over. And I wish you'd pray with me. We don't need that to happen anymore. We watched huge cities in this nation literally burn in the summer of 2020. Hundreds of millions of dollars worth of damage. Twelve people were killed in those protests and riots that happened. We don't need to see that. That won't accomplish anything. Speak your opinions. Speak your opinions. But stop right there. Please, stop right there. Well, as things develop and we try to get uh, the constitutional attorney, the lawyer, back on the phone with us. Josh Hawley, really like him a lot, U.S. Senator from Missouri. He was interviewing a, um, a nominee for a job in the Department of Justice the other day. And I came across that interview, and it struck me, so much so that I wanted you to listen to Senator Hawley and listen to the response he gets about the rule of law. Ms. Blumenkast, can I just uh, ask you uh, a question, a follow-up question? Senator Booker was just talking about domestic violence, violence against women, and I want to follow up on that line of questioning. You represented Brandon Moore when you were in private practice, is that right? Uh, Yes, Senator. You remember that case? Uh, Jones Day, the firm that I was at at the time, had accepted um, his representation as part of their pro bono practice. How, How did you come to represent him? Um, uh, the public defender's office had a conflict in that case, and so they approached um, Jones Day 
um, to and, and myself and several of the attorneys there about uh, taking on the representation because they were conflicted out of that. So you weren't appointed by a court, you volunteered to do it? Right at the outset of the case, uh, Senator, I know it's a bit confusing, but right at the outset of the case, um, it was taken on by Jones Day as part of its pro bono practice. Later on, I was indeed appointed by the 7th District Court of Appeals of Ohio to uh, represent Mr. Moore. Well, but when Jones, I, I'm just trying to figure out how you got involved. It sounds like when you were at Jones Day, you volunteered to work on the case. Is that right? That's correct, okay. Senator. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about Brandon Moore. And sadly, I need to warn folks in the audience and watching this that the details of this case are uh, are very unpleasant. I'm not going to read all of them. Uh, these are taken from the Ohio Supreme Court's factual recitation. If you want to read it for yourself, it's 149 Ohio State 3rd 557. So Brandon Moore, on the evening of August 21st, 2001, Youngstown, Ohio, he started that evening by robbing two people at gunpoint in their driveway. He fled the scene. He then went with a group of other individuals and hunted down a 21-year-old Youngstown University student, young woman, who was working the night shift at a group home for mentally handicapped women. Do you with me so far? Mr. Moore, your client then held this young woman at gunpoint told her to give him all of her money and belongings. He and his accomplices then brutally attacked her, raped her multiple times. Mr. Moore kidnapped her, drove her away, followed by another member of his group, continued to sexually assault her while he did that. Mr. Moore and his companion drove down a dead-end street, forced this young woman out of the car. She was pregnant, by the way. Continued to violently rape her at gunpoint then went through all of her belongings on her person. Finally, Mr. Moore ended by shoving a gun in her mouth. I'm not going to read all of his quotes. It's too graphic. But basically threatened her and said that uh, he'd kill her if, uh, if she or her family told anybody about the attack. She later said that that attack killed a part of her. They killed a part of my soul. I'm quoting her that I can never get back. He was sentenced to 141 years in prison, the trial court determined that he could not be, be rehabilitated. That's a quote. Mr. Moore could not be rehabilitated. It would be a waste of time and money and common sense to even try, end quote. You, however, argued all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court that he ought to be released early because his sentence was a violation of the Eighth Amendment against cruel and unusual punishment. And you also said at the end of the case to the press I'm going to quote you now. Kids are different. And any sentence for a non-homicide offense that denies them a second chance of life is unconstitutional. Kids are different. I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around why do you call this teenager who did the things I just described a kid and say that kids are different and he ought to be treated differently. Help me understand that. Well, why you chose to represent this individual. You have a lot of talent. You're highly educated. You're obviously extremely capable. You, by your own estimation, devoted hundreds of pro bono hours to representing Mr. Moore. Um, why, did, why are kids different? Why is, why is this guy a kid? And why shouldn't he have served time for his horrific crimes, for what he did to that young woman? Um, Senator, um, 
there were horrific crimes in that case. And despite the horrific crimes in that case, I do believe that everyone is entitled to defense and everyone's entitled to a constitutional sentence. And the United States Supreme Court in the case Graham versus Florida did say that kids are different. If they are under 18, they are treated differently under the Constitution. And it was my duty as Mr. Moore's advocate to argue that he receive a sentence that comported with the case uh, in uh, Graham. Well, just to be clear, the Supreme Court didn't say kids are different. You said kids are different. That's not their quote. That's your quote. This was a case of first impression. Graham deals with a different set of facts. You argued to the Ohio Supreme Court it ought to be extended to people like Mr. Moore. And you succeeded. I mean, you, the Ohio Supreme Court took you up on it, and, and they, they said that the guy ought to be uh, released. I, I just am surprised that this is how you choose to use your considerable talents and to argue for the extension of a Supreme Court case to an individual like this and to argue that he's somehow different. He's a criminal. He was 15 years old at the time he committed these horrific crimes. And what he took away from that young woman, she'll never get back. I, I, just, I just find that, I find it hard to understand. My time's expired. I know there are others who are going to want to ask questions, so I'll follow up with some more questions for the record. My purpose for letting you listen to that back and forth between Senator Hawley and that nominee for a department job in the Department of Justice was I wanted you to hear the thinking of these people, these Democrats, these far leftists that are coming out wanting to get and finding themselves in very powerful positions in government. And their thinking is not about the law. It's not about the Constitution. It's not about laws that are legally passed by Congress, signed into law by a sitting president, and enforcing those laws. It's about people like that nominee you heard confronted by Senator Hawley about her in a specific case, reading her opinions, not about the verbiage in the law that the law legislators passed and signed it into law, but changing that because of her opinion rather than a approved, decided, specific decision based on those duly passed laws. If you look at the furor, the uproar and furor over laws, over things like Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision that came out just minutes ago, making Roe v. Wade not a national right. Abortion is not a constitutional guaranteed right and never has been. Yes, the court back in 1973 said it was, but they had to reach really, really far. And nothing in the Constitution even mentions abortion. Long past due, in my opinion, in the opinion of millions of Americans. And yes, on the other side, there are millions who disagree with my opinion. I get that. But what matters today, folks, based upon what you just heard that nominee telling Senator Josh Hawley, opinions don't necessarily always be the right thing. And it doesn't matter what the title is in front of your name. Supreme Court justices can be wrong. That's why we have nine. 
That's why when we rule on every case, the majority in there is going to rule. If they make a decision, it's going to be based on what the majority of those justices think. And even today, Chief Justice Roberts, he's the boss of the Supreme Court. He disagreed with the final outcome that was penned by Justice Samuel Alito. But the majority of the court agreed with Justice Alito's version and that finding. We live in that atmosphere, folks. That was purposely put together by our forefathers back in the late 1700s to make this nation continue perpetually to be government of the people, government by the people, and government for the people. And when you have people like this nominee just revealed her opinion meant more to her than the legal laws and the precedent of those laws as they played out over years. She didn't think it was fair, this guy who did all this horrible stuff. He was just a kid. He doesn't need to go to jail for that. He changed the life of that poor young woman forever. There is a price to pay, and it's determined only by the laws that are passed by legally elected legislators who are the representatives of the people. It's the same way in Roe v. Wade. When it comes to online meetings, you're crushing it. But if you want to crush something that's a little more fun, why not play Best Fiends, the five-star rated puzzle game? Best Fiends is loaded with challenging puzzles that are so much fun, and you're never accidentally on mute. So take a stress break with the cutest characters on the planet and download Best Fiends for free from the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Play Best Fiends. Download free. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are some mates' other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and some mates' new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sun-made snacks. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but... When something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Let's do a little bit of cleanup on these big Supreme Court decisions that were issued some yesterday and, of course, Roe v. Wade today. 
Let me explain something to you. Neither one of these decisions exist in a vacuum. And I'll explain with this Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. He issued a statement moments ago about Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade. This is what I want to point out to you. Louisiana is just one of 13 states that have trigger laws. And those laws take effect, and as of now, they took effect minutes ago after the court's decision today. Landry said this, as noted in both my legal brief to the Supreme Court and the majority's opinion, the Constitution makes no reference to abortion. No such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. Because of the court's ruling in this case about that Mississippi law limiting abortions after 15 weeks of gestation with exceptions for health emergencies and fetal abnormalities, Louisiana's trigger law banning abortion is now in effect. You get that? We have a trigger law here in Louisiana passed by our representatives in the House of Representatives in the State Senate in Baton Rouge. Outlawing abortion, it was dependent upon what the court, the Supreme Court, came away with. Louisiana's trigger law banning abortion is now in effect. Louisiana is one of 13 states with similar trigger laws. Now let me point something out. As I said earlier, none of this exists in a vacuum. Nothing the court does ever is just that one issue. There are ripples that go out from there. Lots, lots of people are going to be impacted directly and indirectly over this and by this. And so what are we going to do? How are people going to respond? Well, hopefully, we'll do and choose to respond in the rule of law way. Maybe disagreeing. And I just did a quick scam across, a scan across the Internet looking at news stories during the break there and pictures of course of people wailing and screaming and crying and hollering. I get that emotion is tough, but this opinion will change a lot of people's lives. And from my perspective, let me tell you the big thing it's going to do. It's going to save millions of lives estimated 60 million babies aborted since Roe v. Wade back in 1973, 60 million, 60 million. Don't know if that number's accurate. In the big scheme of things, though, it really doesn't matter if it's one, if it's ten, if it's a thousand, if it's a hundred million. It's too many. I always hearken back to my wife reminding me she's never received an invitation to a fetus shower. She gets invitations all the time to baby showers. For years, decades, it has blown my mind how people have twisted reality just to make it fit their opinions, not morphing their opinions to fit the reality. And let's just say that 60 million abortions in the U.S. since Roe v. Wade is the number. Let me ask you this about all of the people involved in those abortions, not just the women, but the guys that are involved in it in many cases. How are they each going to feel if at some point in the future, 
And I think we're not far away from being able to confirm this through science. You know, that follow the science thing. We got to believe the science. I don't think we're very far away from getting this answer. And this is what is going to tear some people apart. How are they going to feel if and when they find out that they really did kill a living human being when they had that abortion? Can you imagine the horrors that they're going to go through? That We have people listening right now all around the nation and other nations I know that have been through that. We need to be prepared to help these people deal with that reality if it ever shows up. But that's down the road. I just got a text from Congressman Mike Johnson. I, he had promised, as you know, to come on the show with us. And uh, I said, can you talk on air about Dobbs? We're live for the next hour. He said, I'm stuck on the House floor, but if I get done in time, I'll call you. That being said, and I just got a note from uh, our contact regarding the doctor that was on, uh, excuse me, the constitutional lawyer that was on with us earlier this week. I got a note that said she's trying to get through with an interview and she'll call us. Hopefully, we've got 40 minutes left on the show. Hopefully, we can get them both on. I want to hear the other people's opinions. In fact, here comes... Wow. Hello. Hello. Hi, this is Dan. Hi, Dan. This is Susan Swift. I'm returning your call. You had uh, reached out to CJ. This is for commentary regarding the Dobbs decision and overturning Roe versus Wade. Yes. And I'm, uh, I'm getting back to you. We're live on the air right now. We talked earlier in the week and uh, you promised you'd come yes, back. If you got the decision, Justice Alito wrote the majority opinion and overturned Roe v. Wade. Give us your thoughts. Yes. Well, this is a this is a, a victorious day. This is this is such a wonderful victory for life. I'm overjoyed, uh, and as an attorney, I'm also heartened because the the violation, the leak of the decision, which was meant to intimidate and to change the the outcome, didn't work. And now we have a, a strong ruling. I think it's, it's I guess, 6-3 because Roberts did join with a concurrence. So it's 6-3. And it, it, it this is D-Day, Dobbs Day. D-Day has now overturned Roe versus Wade. I am overjoyed. I am too. And you mentioned Chief Justice Roberts. I don't know if you read his notation in the opinion. But if he voted and it was 6-3, he opened the door and he was very, very hesitant to go all in with um, the majority ruling, basically saying he would have shop, stopped short of that. Um, I think it's more of what we've seen in the past from him the last few years where he's leaning more and caucusing more with the left. But the bottom line is Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional, and now we go back to state by state making their determinations on abortion. Yes, this returns the issue to the state, which is the way our Constitution was designed. If an issue, if a, a matter like the Second Amendment, right, for yeah. guns, safety, yes. you know, all that, all that business, if it is not specifically reserved for the federal government, it is preserved for the states. That's our constitutional system. It was designed that way so that we, the people, have more power because we can act locally. So this, this is a very good move by the Supreme Court to help restore power to the people in where we live. I think it's great. 
And it doesn't outlaw abortion. People need to understand that. It's not. No, of course not. I, I just got off of a different uh, show, and the host there who was um, had a different mindset uh, was <laughs> saying that uh, you know it outlaws abortion. And I corrected him rather strongly. It does not outlaw abortion. It simply says that abortion is not in the Constitution, and therefore the federal courts have no standing no power to to rule on it and it it belongs to the states that means you and i in our states we can start lobbying and uh advocating for life and changing our laws and that is what is going to control the state laws is going to control this issue going forward now speaking of state laws louisiana attorney general jeff landry he issued a statement just minutes ago and he pointed out our state, Louisiana, is one of 13 that have trigger laws. The trigger law that he's referring to in Louisiana, what it does right now, it makes abortion in the state of Louisiana illegal, period. 13 Thanks states. Thanks be to God. I'm very, I'm very glad to hear that because there really, there should never be abortion abortion is the intentional murder and killing of an unborn child in the womb it is not health care the purpose of the act is to simply destroy life it is not to deliver the woman because that's what real medicine what real health care is about is delivering the woman from a life endangering uh, threat right so perhaps an ectopic pregnancy or something that is seriously a genetic anomaly that is uh, threatening her health what doctors do is they deliver the woman and they also try to preserve the life of that uh, unborn child so that maybe that li- that life has a chance and that is that is dignified but abortion is demeaning to the medical profession because the the entire purpose of it is the destruction of human life in the womb that's the only purpose for it and it should be illegal everywhere. I pray that the inevitable that we all know is already beginning to happen. I wished the Supreme Court had released this several days ago so that it would have happened during the middle of a work week. But happening on a Friday, it's going to be tough around the nation because there will be uh, violence. And I think we may have seen a similar thing that may happen when we watch the burning of Minneapolis in 2020 and some of those other cities. It would be wonderful. Well, I hope you're wrong. I do too. Um, I know that these different domestic terrorist groups, Jane's Revenge and Ruth sent us, they're basically abortion Antifa. That's who these people are. Um, They they may try to do something, but you you look, look, whenever you're dealing with bullies, you got to stand up and push back against bullies. And that's nothing, that's what they are. They're terrorists and bullies. And I think maybe it's a good thing. We all get to go home and we can protect our homes. And, hey, we just got a wonderful Supreme Court ruling just yesterday uh, about, you know, the, the right to conceal carry. That, yeah, you can carry you can carry uh, firearms in public. That is, a, that is a fundamental right protected by our Constitution. So, you know what? I don't know if we're going to see too much of it because... We have the right to defend ourselves if somebody's coming into our home or threatening our lives. And I don't think these bullies are going to uh, kind of be able to get away with very much. Because people, we're awake, we know what's going on, and we're going to protect ourselves. I'm glad you brought that up. When you called in, we were just talking about or beginning to talk about the ancillary effects of the Roe v. Wade decision, but also that New York uh, concealed carry decision that came out yesterday Both of these things 
or they're not going to stand alone. There will be ripple effects across our nation in all these ways. Think about the laws around the nation just because of what happened in New York yesterday. Think about the laws around the nation that will automatically no longer be valid because they're unconstitutional. And the same thing about the Roe v. Wade decision today that came out. We're going to see states that will be scrambling for months trying to figure out what to do. But the bottom line in both of them, and you mentioned it in both cases, it's a great thing that we now constitutionally are recognizing life begins at inception. That is a major monumental thing to happen in the United States. And maybe, oh, maybe God will give us a free pass for a bit because we've come around at least on that issue. Perhaps the chastisement has been pushed off a little bit more. I hope so. <laughs> but you know what? The other thing to remember, this decision would not have happened but for the appointment of three Supreme Court justices by President Donald Trump. He promised he would do that. He did it. He delivered. They have delivered. They have stood strong. And they faced this head-on, and they've ruled that Roe versus Wade is unconstitutional. And that is monumental. That is, the, that is the power of what one president can do. So we owe him a debt of gratitude as well. Thank you so much for calling and coming back in. We really oh, appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Dan. You I'm, I'm pleased to be with you anytime. Have a great weekend. Celebrate. Oh, we will. Today <laughs> is a day to celebrate life. All right. Amen, and God have, bless. God bless you. Have a good one. Roe v. Wade is officially overturned by the United States Supreme Court. And as we were talking about those ripple things that happened, think about what happened yesterday, the Supreme Court verdict about the concealed carry permit for the state of New York. Think about the United States Supreme Court ruled that New York law unconstitutional. There are other states that have similar laws and the Supreme Court decision is going to overturn those state laws. Look what's happened today. Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs, Mississippi case that the Supreme Court ruled with. The ancillary impact around the nation is going to be monumental because state laws in abundance, as our Attorney General Jeff Landry termed it, we have 13 states that have trigger laws that are directly tied to the Supreme Court's decision. And in those states, laws that are on the books are now unconstitutional. You know what? As we go to break, I just had this thought. You know what's about to happen? Lawyers in the legal community in the United States are licking their chops. Why? Can you imagine the court cases that are going to start coming out now the lawsuits that are going to start coming out now. And in those, yeah, litigants make a little money sometimes in a civil case. But lawyers make money every time there's any kind of case, civil or criminal, it doesn't matter. And they're teeing it up right now, I guarantee you. There are a bunch of them out there licking their chops, counting their money. Lawsuits about to fly. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. We all want to be prepared. We all want to be sure that the people we leave behind don't think we're jerks. That's where Final Insurance comes in. 
We provide peace of mind for when you rest in peace. For a small monthly sum, you can spend your final years knowing that Final Insurance has everything taken care of. Final Insurance, the last insurance you'll ever need. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Trucker Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. We don't tell you what to think, but we give you truth to think about. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. There are going to be a lot of things, a lot of important facts that are going to be uh, overshadowed by these two Supreme Court rulings, the big one yesterday uh, about the gun permit for New York. The law was ruled unconstitutional. And, of course, the overturning of Roe v. Wade today. Actually, it wasn't Roe v. Wade. It was the Dobbs case in Mississippi the Supreme Court took up. And with that, overturned the fact that it had been determined in 1973 by the Supreme Court There was an implied right to abortion, although it's not verbatim in the Constitution. They uh, very loosely uh, gave an opinion based on an opinion of a law. And this Supreme Court, 6-3, ruled against that opinion, Roe v. Wade. Think about the ripple effect that's going to happen across the nation by both of these. We want to make sure that uh, in the the bright lights of all this news that we don't skip over some very important things you need to know about. Very quietly, the Biden administration has reached a deal to cancel $6 billion in federal student loan debt. And that involves about 200,000 borrowers who attended mostly for-profit colleges. The agreement covers more than 150 schools that include the DeVry University, the University of Phoenix, and the recently defunct IDT Technical Institute. Another 68,000 borrowers who did not attend eligible colleges will have their applications for relief fast-tracked under this deal. Now, it's a lawsuit against the government. It was originally filed back in 2019, And it argued that the Department of Education intentionally stalled the borrower defense process. That's how people apply for relief if they think a college they intended made false advertising claims. Eileen Connor, the director of the Project on Predatory Student Lending, they represented the plaintiffs in this case, celebrated the momentous proposed settlement late yesterday. It will not only help secure billions of dollars in debt cancellation for defrauded students, but charts a borrower defense process that is fair, just, and efficient for future borrowers, she said. A hearing for a judge to give the final sign-off on the deal is scheduled for Tuesday. I'm sorry, July 28th, not June 28th, a month from now. This deal comes weeks after the Biden administration announced that it would cancel about $5.8 billion in debt for anyone who attended a Corinthian school. Now, let me just say this. This troubles me a lot. 
Let me tell you the first thing about this that troubles me. School loans, until the Obama administration, were totally between lending institutions and the borrowers, the students. The federal government had no play in it. Barack Obama, arbitrarily through executive order, assumed all the debt from all of the students, the billions and billions of dollars that was owed, the federal government took responsibility for it, took it away from the lending institutions. You know, banks, lenders, the ones that have a lot of history at lending money and collecting money. And so by a president through executive order on behalf of the nation, assuming the responsibility for those loans, and then we have a lawsuit and a judge comes out, and guess what? The United States government is going to eat all that. That means you and me. That money is going to come out of tax dollars that we don't have. There's no money in the bank. <laughs> there's, there's not enough money in the bank to pay this bill. We're going to have to borrow it. $6 billion that we lent to people, we the people, the United States of America, through these loan companies, $6 billion will take care of about 20,000 borrowers. I'm not responsible for that. I don't think you're responsible for it either. But guess what? You and I are paying for it. Thank you, executive order process. This kind of stuff is only supposed to happen through Congress. Financial matters, all government financial matters have got to initiate or at least go through the U.S. House of Representatives. None of this did. Executive orders. Now, we haven't talked much about the January 6th committee and what they've been doing here. I haven't watched a single minute of it. I'm not going to. It's nothing but political partisanship. It's not really hearings. There is no cross-examination of any of the witnesses that come before this committee. Opposition can't present any evidence. It's all one-sided. And the two Republicans that are involved in this are not conservatives at all. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Adam Kinzinger, yesterday in the committee hearing, it seems like he um, he brought up the Obama first Attorney General Eric Holder, and he called him, former Attorney General Holder, a paragon of independence. He said he, Holder's an example of integrity. Holder described himself as President Obama's wingman. He presided over Operation Fast and Furious. You remember that? That botched scheme to smuggle guns to Mexican cartels and trace their movements. And it was supposed to be a way to crack down on gun sales. The guns were later, later used in a bunch of crimes, including the murder of U.S. Border Patrol agent Brian Terry. And then Holder wouldn't cooperate with the congressional panel that was investigating Operation Fast and Furious, and so the House of Representatives held him in contempt. The Department of Justice, this one, is now prosecuting 
two former Trump aides for refusing to uh, cooperate with the January 6th committee and declined to prosecute Eric Holder. So Kinzinger and other Republicans signed on to a no-confidence motion back in 2011. Here's what the motion reads. Whereas due to a journey, General Holder's failure to properly control, monitor, or establish Operation Fast and Furious, it is likely Mexican nationals were killed or wounded by weapons sold through this scheme. Whereas the carnage resulting from Operation Fast and Furious is not limited to Mexico, whereas the evidence further suggests that such guns have been used in the U.S. and may be involved may be involved in the death of Border Patrol agent Brian Terry, whereas in response to congressional inquiries, the administration through Attorney General Holder's office initially provided false information to Congress, whereas in response to ATF whistleblowers who came to Congress, the administration through Attorney General Holder's office retaliated against such whistleblowers. Whereas in response to congressional inquiries, the administration through Attorney General Holder's office has redacted key information and has been intransigent, obstructionist, and obdurate. Now, therefore, be it resolved that it is the sense of the House of Representatives that Congress has lost confidence in the Attorney General of the United States. On Thursday, yesterday, Kinzinger cited Holder as an example of political independence, playing a video clip of Holder doing his confirmation hearing back in 2009, telling Congress he would sooner resign than do anything to compromise the political independence of the Department of Justice. I will be an independent attorney general, he said. I will be the people's lawyer. If, however, there were an issue that I thought were that significant, that it would compromise my ability to serve as attorney general in the way I have described it as the people's lawyer, I would not hesitate to resign. That same video clip showed former attorney general Loretta Lynch who followed Holder. She infamously met with Bill Clinton on the tarmac at that airport in Arizona while Hillary was under investigation for mishandling confidential emails. After the video clip of Holder and other former attorney generals had played, Kinzinger said without irony, everyone in that video from Eric Holder to Jeff Sessions spoke as one of the department. It's a point of pride and justice to apply the law without the president's political self-interest taining its actions and dictating how it uses its authorities. Now, just as a reminder, Kinzinger was elected in the Tea Party way back in 2010 as a conservative champion. And ever since he was elected, he steadily every year moved further and further to the left. He's, he became an opponent of Donald Trump and a darling of cable news. By the way, he's retiring after Democrats drew him, reapportioned his congressional district and they took it away from him. And then there's that other Republican, Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney, Republican member of the House of Representatives from Wyoming. She's the other Republican rhino, Republican in name only, on that committee. She, in her state, she's running for re-election. They all are. Everybody that's a member of the House of Representatives 
every two years, all of those 435 seats come up. In her re-election bid in Wyoming, she has sent direct mailers to Democrats in Wyoming. She is begging them to change parties. And by changing parties, changing their registration from Democrat to Republican, they would be eligible to vote in the August Republican primary. Her opponent in that race so far is 30 points ahead of Liz Cheney in the polls. Now, the mailer that she sent out has direct instructions on how Democrat Wyoming voters can change their party affiliation to cast a vote for her. She's down 30 points to Harriet Hageman. The mailer also displayed Cheney's campaign web address for Democrat voters to learn more about her. Do I have to be registered as a Republican to vote for Liz in the Republican primary? The website link reads, how do I change my party affiliation to register as a Republican so I can vote for Liz? Another says, isn't this the irony of ironies where you have a political candidate who was elected over and over and over again to represent conservatives in her state? And in just a period of less than 24 months, she has turned totally against those people in Wyoming that voted for them to be represented by her in all matters in the United States Congress. She totally walked away from those people. But this illustrates to me the lust for political power that we see everywhere we look in Washington, D.C. It's seldom a desire to represent people for these people that run for the U.S. Congress. And it happens, and I'm not demeaning anybody, and certainly not everybody, but what I am saying, they don't make millions of dollars in payroll pay being a member of the U.S. House or the U.S. Senate. They don't. About $170,000, and in Washington, D.C., $170,000 doesn't go nearly as far as it does in places like Texas and Tennessee and Louisiana. So it's not about the money, at least not about the paycheck money. But they found out years ago, politics used to be driven by money. It isn't any longer. It's driven totally by power, political power and might. Why has it changed? They found out. On Capitol Hill, they found out. Money comes... When you have power, you're going to get money, but you're going to get everything else you're after with power. If it's just money, eh, anybody in politics in Washington, D.C. can find a way to get money. But with power, you control the money, but you also control everything else. Liz Cheney, she's campaigning among Wyoming Democrats that she wants to vote for her in a Republican primary coming up for her race in August. Desperation. Speaking about this January 6th thing, yesterday it came to light that federal authorities searched the home of Jeffrey Clark. Clark is a former Justice Department official during Trump's administration. 
An official with the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. confirmed that there was law enforcement activity in the vicinity of Clark's Larton, Virginia residence on Wednesday, but wouldn't say anything more. Clark's name is expected to come up in hearings with that select committee. The U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. had no comment regarding the nature of that activity or any particular individuals. Clark served as acting assistant attorney general for the civil division during Trump's final months in office. Colleagues have testified that he was a true believer that the 2020 election had been stolen. He reportedly flouted DOJ policy, met directly with the White House regarding election conspiracies rather than going through proper channels. It's even more evident in hindsight, but at the time I did think he's meeting with the president and now he wants to be briefed by the director of national intelligence on thermostats? Just what is going on here with Jeff Clark? That came from former Trump-appointed acting attorney general Jeffrey Rosen. And Rosen testified to that before the Senate Judiciary Committee last year. Now, it's expected the January 6th committee is going to highlight Clark's involvement in Trump's attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election during these hearings going on. But we're going to find out exactly what is going on. And this is just one example. The feds have stepped up their January 6th law enforcement activities as the Democrats' partisan hearings keep going, serving a search warrant on Nevada Republican Chairman Michael McDonald, State Party Secretary James DeGraffenreid, as well as raiding Trump-era Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark's home this week. According to reports, agents obtained McDonald's cell phone reportedly as part of an investigation into the fake elector scheme initiated at the end of the 2020 presidential election. That's according to a television, a local television network news show. In 2020, six Nevada electors cast symbolic votes for Trump in the wake of the controversy over Biden's victory as the Democrat, according to official figures, won the state by less than 3%. Another search warrant was issued for State Party Secretary James DeGraffenreid, who also signed that document, but FBI agents couldn't locate him. The list is not in there either. Jeffrey Clark, who we just told you, he got checked out. His place of employment, Center for Renewing America, affirmed that search as Center for Renewing America President Russ Vought revealed that more than a dozen DOJ law enforcement officials searched Jeff Clark's house in a pre-dawn raid, put him in the streets in his pajamas, and then took his electronic devices. This new era of criminalizing politics is worsening in the U.S. This is not America. It's not. This is not the land of the free, the home of the brave. This is the land of big, egregious, heavy-handed government. If the government wants something, they don't have to go to the people any longer. They just do it. And they tell us if we don't like it, do something about it. They know they have the power. They know they control the money. And if you don't think they're pushing that downstream and thumbing their noses at the American people, just think about this. 
you're treated wrongly by the government, maybe it's it's litigation material. They do something or they don't do something. The federal government I'm talking about. And you want to take them on. You want to sue them. Do you have any idea the cost of doing that and what it means? They have access to any resource they need at taxpayer expenses. They can do anything they want to to us. Now, there may be repercussions on the back end, but they control the meeting out of the repercussions for what they do. They're not worried about that at all, and they're certainly not worried about you. The rule of law is not being applied by our federal government equally across the spectrum and between every person, no matter their party affiliation, no matter anything about them. If they're Americans, if they're here, they have the rights that are guaranteed anybody and everybody in the U.S. Constitution. And they know there will be, in some cases, some liability meted out, but not by this administration. This administration is in the tank for big government. Meanwhile, all this is happening. The conversation goes on and on and on about the cost of fuel. And, of course, they're going all in, the Biden administration, for electric vehicles. The big majority of the driving public in the U.S. don't use electric. They use, we use traditional gas-powered vehicles. But the Biden administration is focused on the transportation problems of electric vehicles. Namely, the scarcity of charging stations in many areas in the country, rather than trying to do anything to tackle the record high gas prices. Let me give you an example. Today, right now, California has 13,452 electric charging stations for cars. That's the most of any state. Alaska has the fewest. They have 48 of them, followed by North Dakota with 57, South Dakota with 59, Wyoming 62. The Department of Transportation is set to spend big funds on more charging stations. Under the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, $5 billion, billion with a B, has been allocated for the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Formula Program, $1 billion being disbursed annually over the next five years. They're going to split the money up among states. Must be used for projects directly related to charging vehicles at facilities that are going to be open to the public. The goal is to build a network of these charging stations along interstate highways on the alternative fuel corridors that most states have identified in recent years. So before the states see any of that money, the state governments must describe how they intend to use the money by submitting an EV infrastructure deployment plan. And they've got to do so by August 1st, submitting it to the Federal Highway Administration, which administers the funding. And then the plan's got to be approved by that same administration. States are working on plans now, seeking public input on the local placement of charging stations. This administration, folks, you can forget about them trying to do something to do a stopgap measure of some kind and go back 
and kind of open the spigot again on fossil fuel in the United States until they get a real transition plan put together to go to electric vehicles. They have no plans to do that. They don't have any plans to do a transition to electric vehicles. It's all reaction. That's all it is, reaction. We don't like fossil fuels, so we're going to destroy the fossil fuel industry and force everybody to go to clean energy. That's what they said. Biden promised he was going to do it when he was campaigning. Transportation Secretary Buttigieg, he talks about that every time he gets a microphone. Jennifer Granholm, Secretary of Energy, does the same thing. They don't have a plan. They just expected to be able to wave a magic wand and because President Biden said it, let it be done. Boom. We have all the power that we need for these electric vehicles. We're not even close. There's no way it can be done. It will not be done in the next decade or next 15 years. If they started doing it the right way today, it wouldn't be done anytime soon, especially during this administration. The chaos continues. That's a wrap on the week here at TNN Live. Congressman Mike Johnson stuck on the floor of the House. We'll get with him over the weekend and bring what he has to say about the Dobbs case on Monday morning. You guys have a great weekend. Don't forget Saturday bullet points tomorrow. And I thought we'd leave at the end of the show today with something kind of a uh, pick em up song. Something you can uh, snap your fingers to. Kind of unusual. I like this. You guys have a great time. Have a big weekend. We'll see you Monday at TNN. They can't, they won't, they never will Stop the party
to me, ah, ah. I'ma give it to you, ah, ah. Now give it to me, ah, ah. I'ma give it to you, ah, ah. Now give it to me, ah, ah. Get funky. Get funky. Now stop. I think y'all having a good time.